You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back to The Catalyst, everyone. I'm your host, Samantha Chris, and today I am joined by the 2019 Kentucky State Teacher of the Year, Jessica Duenas. When Jessica was awarded this title, nobody knew that she was suffering in silence. Jessica always battled addiction. Her drinking gripped her for years. Past trauma, the pressure of teaching, and the unexpected pandemic brought her to her breaking point. Today, she has chosen herself and her sobriety above all else, leaving the teaching profession and everything else behind in order to move forward and live a life of recovery. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone who's listening out there, thank you for your time. I really hope that you get something out of it. If anything, um, it can help you or help someone that you love and care about. You share in your bio that you were brought to your breaking point. And I think those moments of like, I just can't take this anymore, are often the catalysts for change. And so what was that breaking point like for you? So, um, you know, it's funny, I've had different breaking points throughout my journey for recovery. But what I would say my most recent breaking point that really was the life changing drop everything and redo my life um, was when I was hospitalized for the last time, which happened here in Florida, where I'm currently staying with my family. I have been in and out of hospitals and rehabs probably about seven or eight times since my boyfriend died of a drug overdose. And I witnessed it in April 28th of 2020. Um, I really could not get a handle on my sobriety after I was traumatized so badly. But, you know, I kept trying to hold on to teaching because especially with the pressure of being a teacher of the year, but even without that title, just being a teacher is so challenging and being a teacher during a pandemic is so challenging. And then trying to juggle virtual teaching, you know, it's just like with being a teacher, you just add and add on to that weight. And I was somehow trying to stay afloat while battling my constant drinking that I couldn't let go of. And I would just basically like fall and fall and fall. And thankfully I could, I would get back up with like the encouragement of others, but I ended up at a hospital here and I thought that coming to Florida was the solution. And it wasn't, you know, I still ended up hospitalized for about a week And while I was in the hospital, I said, I can't go back into this hospital setting. I'm done. I'm over it. I have to let go of everything. I need to leave Kentucky permanently, which is where I was in Louisville. I was like, I need to leave Kentucky permanently. I need to leave this career. I need to start over because I'm going to die if I don't change my life right now. Wow. And I think you touch on something that a lot of people can relate to when we feel trapped by our realities we feel like if we just if we just move if we just go to a different place you know if, if we can just get a break then it'll change and oftentimes that trauma what you know the burden the the stress the anxiety the expectations we put on ourselves they follow us and when we have those breaking points we have these moments of reflection where we kind of look around at our life we look at the people we look at the choices we've made the outcomes and we think how did i how did i get here do you ever have that moment I mean, when you were in the hospital bed and you had that kind of like, oh no, not this again feeling? Did you ever look around and think like, how did it get to this point? Oh, absolutely. I always, I mean, you know, like I said, I've been in hospitals and rehabs and residential facilities so much that there are those moments, you know, when I stop, pause and look around and I am like, 
wow, how did I get here? It's really humbling though for me because it shows me, especially when we're talking about addiction, that there is no discrimination when it comes to addiction. It really touches anybody and um, it really impacts so many families. I can't, I don't really know a single family that I'm aware of that hasn't been touched in some way from it. Mm -hmm. And so it is a big like moment where you wake up when you surround yourself and there's people who just almost died just like you. And some of them were there because they were willingly put there. Some of them were arrested and placed there. Some of them were there because their families begged them. And, you know, everyone around me was basically a moment away from death at some point recently. And so that was just very impactful for me. I can imagine. And you've been through so much when you look at just the pressure of your career, you look at what happened with your boyfriend and the feeling of getting knocked down. Do you feel like with each time that you get back up, there's a little more strength, a little more resilience, or do you feel that it is chipping away at your resilience? I feel that this last time that I finally like got up and decided to leave everything behind, I think because I finally felt the sense of surrender and accepting the fact that I needed true help. I needed to genuinely heal. Mm -hmm. This last time that I got back up, it did feel different. The other times when I would get back up, I felt like I was just kind of getting, like I was drowning and I would get back up to the surface holding onto a life raft. And so my resilience wasn't necessarily gone, but I was fearful of what was to come. I was still unsure of myself. I still felt like I was getting pulled out of that ocean and being put onto like a boat with like a chain strapped to me, you know, whereas now I feel like I got out of the water, I'm off the boat and I'm on the shore and I'm running. So, but I didn't feel like it took away at my resilience. I just felt like I was determined at some point that I couldn't let this kill me. And sometimes it wasn't for me, it was for others. This time it's for me. Mm. And how did you know, I mean, I was going to ask you, how did you know that this time was different? And was that the major shift is that this time was for you? Yes, I think um, the major shift with this time was the fact that I decided to let my treasured career go. I, I've i always identified as a teacher, like, you know, when I think about me and who I am, I always was Jessica, the teacher. Now I can just be Jessica. And teaching is a beautiful part of my past. But now that I have been away from teaching for about a month and a half, I feel like a completely different person. And not that I regret any moment that I spent in the classroom, but I did not realize how, so to speak, like oppressed, how everything was just weighing on me while teaching those 13 years. I did not realize how much pressure I was carrying on me until mm-hmm. I let it go. Prior to recording, actually, you'd mentioned that you felt liberating yourself from your past was vital to your survival because you were on a fast path to death if you didn't seek change. And obviously changing careers, letting go of that 13-year-long past and identity is massive. What are some of the other changes that you needed to make in order to really liberate yourself? Yes, um, great question. So I let go of the career. I decided to leave Louisville, Kentucky and come closer to family. I have historically been very prideful, very independent. And, you know, I got it from my mother who, you know, she had to really hustle to make things work, but, you know, she didn't have resources like therapy or access to therapy, access to all these supports that I do. And so I kept ignoring things like therapy and medications and I was just refused to do that and just say, well, I can stand all by myself. I'm a strong, independent, educated woman. 
And so when I got divorced in Louisville in 2017, I had the option to, okay, well, let me go back with my family. And I refused because I was so prideful. Mm. And so I had to let go of that pride in order to live and say, no, you know what, right now, after everything I've been through, after the trauma that I witnessed, I need to actually humble myself and agree to move with my family and give myself time to truly recover. And what's that been like for you? It's been beautiful. It has really been. I am able to share my pain when I feel it. I'm able to share my joys when I feel them. And it's pretty much immediately I've moved into my sister's house. So I live with my sister and my niece. And, you know, it's like all the times that I was suffering by myself. I'm sorry. All those years, I didn't have anyone because I was so prideful. Mm-hmm. that I isolated myself. And, you know, there's so many people who love me. It would have happily like been a shoulder to lean on an ear to listen. And I just locked myself in because I was so ashamed of who I was and I felt so guilty. And they thought that I was a bad person because I was alcoholic. And now that I accept it, and now that I embrace that I'm a person in recovery, fighting every day to live a good life, I've had the blessing to be able to openly share my heart with others and just be honest and be transparent. And it's just so powerful. It really is. I can feel it in your voice. And I've read your articles and I've read a little bit about your story and how you felt such shame and guilt and kept this to yourself, afraid of what they would say, afraid of what they would think. And I'm, I'm grateful that you've been accepted, that you've got the support that you need what was the moment like when you realized that you can ask for help, that they that they were there? Was it surreal? Was it as you expected? How did that unfold? It actually um, was scary because, again, having to let go of this whole identity that I made for myself of being independent and strong. And I actually think there's strength in asking for help. And there is strength in saying, I can't do this right now. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I was not perceiving strength in that way. And so when I finally was like, yes, I need help. Yes, I need to have others to lean on. It was scary to kind of go out on a leap of faith because it was like, yes, I need to let go of my career. You know, all the changes there were so many of them. They were very scary to take because I was moving into an unknown territory. Like I didn't know what it was like to lean on others. I didn't know what life would be like without being an educator and having all these little children depending on me. I didn't know any of the things. I had never experienced these feelings before as an adult. And so I was definitely scared, but I'm glad that I had that leap of faith and that I moved forward with it. And not just move forward. I mean, you have taken further huge leaps coming, you know, to your family with this and allowing yourself to ask for help. But then you're now kind of on a bigger stage. You've gone public with this decision to get sober and you've been public from like early stages of your journey. Why did you find it important to, uh, to bring this message kind of to the surface, not just for family and friends, but for others as well? I think for me, one of the important things was I knew that if I were to come forward and share my story, because, you know, thankfully I have contributed a lot very positively to the community in Louisville. Um, You know, I've worked so closely with my students and their families. And I know, you know, like just from working with children, whether it was my current, well, the school I just left or other places that addiction really does impact everyone 
like mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. And so I wanted the world to see that you can be quote unquote, this cookie cutter person who is like checking all the boxes and whatever looks great, you know, can smile in pictures, can look cute, can be just this beam of sunshine and be falling apart on the inside. And I think that especially currently with 2020 and now the current events going on, I think for a lot of people, they feel that they have to put on a strong face and that they can't let others know that they're suffering or that they're struggling. And especially like, I know, for example, overdose rates have gone up. Um, There have been more hospitalizations for mental illness needs. And I know like liquor sales have gone up, you know? And so I feel like it is important for someone to say, hey, I have a problem with alcohol because somebody out there might also have a problem with alcohol and they're totally scared to admit it or they don't even know where to go first thing to seek help. Like I've actually had a few people reach out to me since um, asking me just genuine questions like, where do I go? Do you recommend that I go to a rehab? Do you recommend that I, you know, taper? You know, I always tell people go to the doctor no matter what, but you know, like people have been inquiring genuinely how to get help for themselves or others. I think what you're doing is so brave. I mean, it's brave to put yourself out there. It's brave to ask for help, brave to offer feedback and insight to other people. And what I really love about your story and you know, even for people who I know in my life, they sometimes feel like I, you know, who am I to talk about this? I haven't been sober for that long. Who am I to talk about this? I've just relapsed. Who am I to talk about this? Because I don't know how long I'm going to be um, in a good headspace. And I love that your approach is, listen, it's just one day at a time. Like there's not this benchmark that you need to reach to be someone who can speak on the topic, to be someone who can add value to other people in this journey. And I love that you're, you're open, you're open about how it's been for you. And does that come with its own layer of, of fear or is that something you've grown comfortable with? There is a layer of fear in that, you know, naturally I, I mean, I don't know about other people, but for me, I still worry about what other people think. And I'm probably always going to worry about other people's opinions, even if their opinion of me is none of my business, I'm still going to like have it in the back of my head. And, you know, I know that there are folks who have been sober for years and um, they might look at me and say, well, why are you like talking about your addiction with others? Um, I do think that for me being so early on in my recovery, it is important for me to come out and say what I'm doing because there's so many people that get intimidated by people who've been sober for 20 years. Mm. You know, I know that people right now who maybe took their last drink in the past few days I can relate to them very much because I can still close my eyes and vividly remember exactly how I felt throwing up in the toilet the last time I had my drink. I can remember the shakes that I was feeling. I can remember the panic that I was feeling because of the withdrawal symptoms just taking over my body. And not to say that in 20 years, I won't remember that, but there is just something very vivid about having been there and being able to say, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about in this moment. Like I could taste what you're going through. And do you feel that being so public about it um, at every stage of your journey, that it has helped from an accountability perspective as well? Or are you doing it really to empower others to do the same? It does help in terms of an accountability part, primarily because the amount of support that I have gotten has made me realize like, wow, like there's people out there who have sent prayers up for me, sent their love, their support, cards, notes, 
just um, their own books that they've written. And for me to drink again, if I did, of course, it would be a part of the journey. The important part would be if I drank to get back up and keep going. But there was a time actually about two weeks ago that I was very, very tempted. I stumbled across, I was at a friend's house. She had left to walk her dog. And so I was going to get something from the kitchen. And when I opened her cabinet, she had like stowed away um, just a bottle of alcohol, but it was probably, it was like a fifth and it was probably about three quarters of the way full. It was scary and so powerful because in that moment I was triggered. The trigger literally happened so strongly that I was in my head already, already calculating if I can sneak this bottle, will I be able to fit it in my purse? If I drink this right now, will I be, how much time do I need to sober up before I can drive home? What does she have around that I can wash it down with so I don't smell like liquor? Literally, these kinds of questions were firing off as soon as I saw that bottle. Mm. And then I had to stop and think about, well, what do I want out of my life? And is this bottle going to help me get there? And that's what my therapist taught me. He said, anytime I think about drinking, stop and think about my goals and ask yourself if that drink is going to help you get there. So I thought about my life goals, um, which include living a happy, healthy, sober life. I would like to someday have a family. Um, I'm not a mom and I want to have a healthy body and mind to be able to one day parent. And then I also thought about the people who I've reached and their love and their support. And I was like, these people are rooting for me. I can't let them down. And I put the bottle back <laughs> and I let myself out. I locked the door and I texted my friend. I was like, hey, I actually had to run, you know. And I was, I cried so much on the way home because I felt that craving. I felt that urge. It was so strong and it was so powerful and it's so scary. And that was the first time that I ever felt like that and didn't relapse. And so I was also crying tears of gratitude. Wow. Good for you. Good for yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, let that land, let that sink in a little bit. There's this, it's, it's a major victory. It was. Mm -hmm. So you gave a good tip uh, that your therapist had given you as far as kind of looking at your goals and what you want out of life and assessing, is this going to help you get there? What other things do you or have you used to, to really help you take it day by day? Yeah. So in terms of in the day, in the moment, I have been applying other coping skills really my brain, I'm very good at like obsessing and um, catastrophizing things, panicking, <laughs> focusing on the negative instead of identifying the positives. So another strategy that I actually do is I kind of do like a T-chart when I journal. So on one side, on the left side, I write down my thoughts as they come to me 100%, like as crazy as they sound, I write them all down. And then on the right, I stop and force myself to think like, okay, what would a logical person think about this? So let's say, for example, if there's somebody who I might be interested in romantically and they don't call me back, I'm catastrophizing. Oh my gosh, they don't want to talk to me. They're over me. You know, I've turned them away. And then on the logical side, I'm like, they're probably just busy. They're at work, you know, and I really have to do that very intentionally because I feel like sometimes with alcoholism and addiction, it's not, I mean, I did just tell a story about the bottle interesting me and making me want to drink, but a lot of times I drink to escape. I don't know about others, but I drink to escape the life that I'm living. And so if I get really depressed or really upset about something, 
how do I get out of it except to take a drink? Mm -hmm. And so I have to learn how to get out of those negative headspaces without drinking. So the, the journaling and the looking at something from a more objective perspective helps me a lot. And then sometimes I end up just laughing at myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't really believe that, you know, (laughs) you know, because it's true. Like our brains can just come up with this crazy stuff to make us, you know, get triggered. So that's really been a super helpful strategy. And then also I've been researching some different meditation practices and really trying to meditate because again, I think that being able to still my brain and like put those thoughts to rest for a little bit helps in terms of like settling the chaos that typically I would want to escape from that's going on in my head. So those, honestly, I would recommend, um, as strategies that people can use and, you know, therapists are great. And also, um, support groups. I definitely lean on support groups and connecting with other people who have different addictions because we can relate to each other. We can cheer each other on. Um, we have, sometimes it's really good to laugh about our stories. And so that's been really important. Um, you know, people do different 12 step groups. Uh, there's all sorts of other programs, but yes, I definitely lean on other people in recovery, but I also lean on the safe people who are not in recovery. Um, I jokingly call them normies, but I lean on them too, because if they're supportive, they are just wonderful people who are, you know, who remind me of, okay, this is the life I can live just like them. If I can stay sober. Right. What's been the hardest part of this journey for you? It's a great question. Um, I would say the hardest part, there's two quick ones. So the bigger, hardest part is actually having to feel the emotions that hurt, Mm. you know, like um, grief, you know, I'm grieving very much and the grief, thankfully I've been progressing in it. I've been working a lot through it. Um, But those moments when I do feel the pain, when I, miss him when, you know, I have like flashbacks a lot, you know, those moments, I can't erase them. And that's one of the difficult parts about staying sober. The other part is kind of like learning how to live in a sober manner where like, you know, dancing sober is a big deal, you know, letting loose sober is a big deal. And, um, I would say those things, relearning how to live life and also feeling feelings versus escaping them. Yeah, that's a big one. And I can see how the strategies that you've mentioned and having the support groups that you mentioned in place are really important during those times. Mm-hmm. And if you were to step up to a mirror right now and look yourself in the eyes, what would you tell yourself you are most proud of? Um, I think I would, honestly, I would be the most proud of myself for being authentic. Um, you know, I feel like I have nothing to hide. And for that, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I chose that because I feel like today I'm in control of my story. I'm in control of my narrative. There was a time, um, when I was, I hadn't come out to people where someone threatened to out me on Twitter. And this person has like, I don't know, 20,000 followers. And they threatened to like, to put on there that, you know, Jessica is an alcoholic. And this was a friend of yours, right? Oh yeah. A friend. And um, I, we were obviously, we had had an argument. And so I was threatened by this and it was the most terrifying threat that I ever had because to lose control over your own story, I never realized how terrifying that is. And so today I feel empowered because I'm in control of my story. As long as I stay sober, I'm in control. 
That's wonderful. And what, what, what parting advice would you give for anyone who is battling with addiction today, who is perhaps worried that, you know, especially with everything that's going on with tomorrow being uncertain, what parting words would you have for them? What I would definitely say is it is absolutely okay to get help. Addiction is a disease. It's not a character defect. And lastly, if you're starting to wonder if you're drinking too much, you are, (laughs) you know, if you have to question it, you probably are. And, oh, and just technicality, if you have been drinking a lot, please go see a doctor, a medical doctor before you try to go cold turkey. Um, You know, risks for seizures and heart problems are very real when people withdraw from drinking lots of alcohol. It's very dangerous. Jessica, thank you for sharing your story. Where can people follow you to learn more and to keep up to date with everything that you've got going on? Sure. So my most, um, I'm most active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at J-D-U-E-N-A-S-2-4 at Twitter. So just J-Duenas-2-4 at Twitter. I have a website that I need to be better about. And um, I would like to develop a blog. Um, But for now, my website and my Twitter, my Twitter, I'm on it all the time. You're an excellent writer. I was reading your article and I mean, guys do check it out. I'm going to drop it in the show notes. I hope you start a blog because you're great. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Jessica, thank you once again for being with us. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Samantha. I really appreciate the platform and I really hope somebody gets some help from it. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.